You're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series in the book of Ephesians. Thank you for joining me, Nathan Johnson, on an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of this incredible book by Paul. Now, let's dive into the lesson for today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, just want to read Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verse 14 down through verse uh, 21. Uh, this is what Paul writes. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Wow, what an incredible passage. Uh, last time we, we were looking at verse 16 and we were getting into the very content of the prayer itself. And again, in verse 16, Paul is saying or praying that God would give you this overwhelming strength, uh, strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. And again, we were looking at, at, looking at this idea, what does it mean to be empowered by his power through his spirit in the very depths of who you are? And what would it look like if the overwhelming reality of Jesus radically just changed your heart, your mind, your the, your conscience, your will, your emotions, and it just totally shifted your entire life. Now, as you come into verse 17, uh, it seems like he's repeating that whole concept. Uh, he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Uh, and it's easy to look at that passage and go, oh, he's, Paul is obviously saying, you need to accept Jesus into your heart. But that is not at all what he's saying. Uh, You cannot get that from this passage. And the reason being is you you understand Paul is not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. In fact, he even starts off the entire epistle by saying that this is to the saints and faithful. So again, he's not talking to unbelievers saying, oh, would you accept Jesus down into your blood pumping organ? right? Which is kind of what we do in our modern, modern days, isn't it? It's like, would you accept Jesus in your heart and just let him watch the blood flow through, you know? <clears throat> uh, which is not what we mean. We, we mean, would you let Jesus be at the center of your life, at the seat of your emotions, right? Your heart. Uh, but again, that's, that's not in this passage. It is presumed you already have that, that you've already embraced Jesus as, as your savior. So then what is Paul saying when he says, I am praying that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Uh, the word there, dwell, <clears throat> it's really an, a, neat, a neat word. Uh, the word there, dwell, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, has this idea to live, uh, to reside, to inhabit, to settle. Uh, in fact, it, it's, uh, it's two Greek words put together. Uh, it's the word kata, which has this idea of down, uh, according to, against, <clears throat> and it's the other word, okeo, which means to dwell. And 
that comes from a word that means house in Greek. So you get this idea of to like to settle, to sink down into, to inhabit, uh, to remain steadfast, to, uh, to dwell in a fixed location. That, that's kind of the idea of the word. Uh, so one, one person said it, you could translate it this way. <clears throat> it is to make something a habitation or a dwelling by being there. Or it is to live or to dwell in a place in an established or settled manner. Or to settle down into a dwelling. That's the idea of this word dwell. Now it is interesting that when you, when you look at the Greek language of, of Paul's day, uh, there were two distinct words that conveyed the idea of living somewhere or dwelling. Uh, one word had this idea, oh, I'm living there, but it's almost like you're a stranger or a visitor. Uh, for example, I have lived in Israel. Yeah, I've lived in Israel. I was there for a few weeks, stayed in a hotel. I was a tourist, but I lived in Israel. That's one option, but that's not this word. Uh, this word gives the idea of a permanent location that I am setting up and I'm residing as a permanent dweller. For example, I live in Windsor, Colorado. Does it make sense? So while you guys, most of you, are tourists of Windsor, Colorado, right? You are strangers. We'll call you aliens, <laughs> right? If you want to use that biblical term. All right, that, that you are these foreigners right, from these other lands, like Kansas, you know, and Canada, right, these, these crazy places, right, but, but you are temporarily living in this location. That's not this word. Again, this word is, hey, this is your fixed home. This is, hey, you've bought a house. Hey, you, you've, you've dressed it all up. Hey, you mow the lawns. You permanently reside somewhere, and you're planning on being there for a long time. That's this idea. Think about this. Christ has not come in to temporarily dwell in you. Christ wants to permanently, forever, reside, sink down into, and live in your life. Isn't that phenomenal? Uh, <clears throat> that word shows up 44 times uh, throughout the New Testament, and it's interesting, almost every time that word shows up, it often refers to like a person living in a city. Uh, that they resided in whatever location. Uh, for example, in Acts chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Now there were Jews living, residing, dwelling in Jerusalem. Devout men from every nation under heaven. What were they doing? Hey, they, they were residing. Hey, they were having a permanent location in Jerusalem. Uh, it is interesting that though it is often used in that sense, there are these two times that this word shows up. It is so neat to me. Listen to this, Colossians 1.19. Paul says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Jesus. And then he says later in chapter 2, verse 9, For in Jesus all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Do you know what God has done? God has taken a permanent residence in Jesus. He's God. And so it's like, well, is it like 2% God? No, he's fully God, residing in human form. Hello? That is cool to me. Let's just move on then. Okay. <laughs> You're like, I don't, I don't care. Okay. <laughs> 
But think about this in your life. Paul is saying in, in our passage, he's saying, I'm praying that Christ would have a fixed, permanent inhabitation, dwelling, home in you. Where? Your heart. Now, obviously, Paul's not talking about your blood-pumping organ. Uh, it is the word cardia, which means heart. For example, we get the word cardiologist from this Greek word. Uh, cardia in Greek, right, means heart. Cardiologist is someone who specializes, a doctor who specializes in the heart, right? So we get that word from here. But when we're, when we're looking at the idea of heart, we're not just talking about a blood-pumping organ. In the ancient days, right, this was the seat of emotions. Uh, it was understood by the Greeks that the heart uh, was everything from your reasoning to your conscience, like it was the moral behavior, determining what's right and what's wrong, that your heart did that. Uh, it was this idea of your emotions, had this idea of volition, uh, had this idea of the very center of your being. Doesn't all that sound like the statement we talked about last time when we talked about inner being? The, when Paul says that God should, he's praying that God would strengthen you with his power in the inner being of who you are. And what was the whole inner being all about? It's a different word, but it had to do with your mind, had to do with your heart, had to do with your emotions, had to do with the, your will, had to do with your conscience. <clears throat> so some scholars say that when you look at our passage in verse 17, what it really is is the outflow of what Paul was praying in verse 16. That Paul, the, again, the big emphasis of the prayer is that you'd be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Well, how are you going to pull that one off? Christ needs to dwell there. That Christ needs to be the very center. So when you, when you step back then and you look at our passage, you get this whole tone that here is Paul who is praying unto the Father saying, do you know what I'm praying for you? I am praying that Jesus would get smack dab in the middle of who you are. So again, this is not would you accept him into your life. This is not a call of salvation. This, this is not a uh, would you believe in him. It is presumed you already have that in the passage. So what Paul is saying is, all right, you're a Christian. Do you know what I'm praying? That you would not be distracted by anything else but Jesus. That he would be the consummation of your life. That he'd be the focus of your life. That he'd be the tone of your life. That he would just be the drive of your life. That he would just be the very core of your life. That he would just be the turn on of your life. He would just be the very center of who you are. By the way, do you know what we call all that? Christianity. So really what Paul is saying is, I'm praying that you would be a Christian. I thought I was a Christian. I know. Now live it. In other words, would you let Jesus be the center of who you are? He's to dwell, reside at the very depths of your heart, the very center of where you're at. So in order to flush that idea out, uh, I want to kind of take a backwards approach this morning, and I want to give you three ideas of what this does not mean. So rather than tell you what it means, I'm going to tell you what it doesn't mean. But in so doing, I'm going to tell you what it means. Does that make any sense? So by explaining what it's not, you're going to know what it is. Okay, number one. What this is not, when we're talking about Christ dwelling in your hearts through faith, what this is not is this is not addition. This is not about addition. This is about all. See, we have this weird mentality in the modern church today uh, that, oh, I can go to church and, and I can have my life and I can do all these activities. 
and okay, I need to be a Christian, so I'm going to add Jesus to my life. Do you realize that is not Christianity? Uh, I've spent a lot of time in, in the South, and it's interesting, if you're in the Bible Belt, uh, everyone's a Christian. You, you just go up to almost anybody and say, hey, are, are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. Oh, do you go to church? No. Do you love Jesus? No. But I'm a Christian. No, you're not. And the ones who actually do the spiritual activities, you look at their life and it's just Jesus is one more thing. That church has become a country club. That, that religion is just that thing that I do on Sundays. And if I'm really religious, maybe on Sunday nights. And if I'm really, really religious, maybe on Wednesday nights. But it's just, it's just an addition to my life. Folks, you can't live that way. That's not Christianity. This is not about adding Jesus to your life. He is your life. In fact, I love Colossians 3, verse 4. At the very beginning of Colossians 3, verse 4, Paul's making this long argument. But he sets up the argument by saying this. When Christ, who is our life. And then he goes on with the argument. But did you get that? Christ, who is our life. That he's not the addition to our life. He's not something that we just tip our hat to on Sunday mornings. He's not just that thing that we just, you know, we, we oh, Jesus. It's just... It's not the addition idea. Does that make any sense? So here's a question for you. Is Jesus an addition in your life? Or is he your life? Is he the total consummation? Is, is he the con consuming drive of your very being? Well, I, I go to church. Good for you. That's not what I'm asking, though. I do Bible study. Good for you. But that's not what I'm asking. I pray. Good for you. That's not what I'm asking. I give the preacher $50. Amen. <laughs> but that's not what I'm asking. What I'm asking is not do you do religious activities. It's not that those are bad. But those don't save you. It, you don't do the religious activity stuff. The whole focus of Scripture is not the religious activities. What's the focus of Scripture? Jesus now, if I have Jesus and he, and I'm building my life around him, you realize I'm going to be in the word. I'm going to spend time in the body of Christ. I do want to spend time in prayer. I, I will evangelize, but not because I got to do my religious activities. It's because I just can't help myself. See the difference? So really, when, we get, when we're getting right down to it, think about your life. Is Jesus your life or is he merely the addition to your life? And if you want to be a, a Christian the way this book talks about Christianity, then Jesus cannot be an addition. He's not one more check on your checklist. He is to be your life. And I read these all the time, but I'm going to keep reading them. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Listen to this. This is so good. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. That you get to be a partaker of the divine nature. That you get to have relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
And you don't add God into your life. God is to be your life. Everything in your life is to be derived by him. Everything you need for life is found in him. Your whole life should be focused upon him. The whole drive of your being should be aimed in one direction, Jesus. Is that true about you? And Paul's praying, hey, would Christ dwell in your hearts? Would he just be at the center of your being? Hey, could you just get so wrapped up in him that every, everything that you do and everything that you think and everything that you, everything in your life is just, oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. In fact, if we were to cut you down the middle, all that would ooze out is Jesus. Is that true? Is that true in you? Because if it's not, I think the solution is we need to repent and say, Lord, I, I truly surrender all. We don't just sing those words. We have to mean them. Lord, I surrender everything on Sunday between 9 and 11. Every other week in February. That's what we mean when we say those words oftentimes. But what would it look like to actually build your life around Jesus? Where the whole thrust and essence of your life was him. I read this all the time too, but Romans eleven thirty six, one of my all-time favorite passages in Scripture. And I think, I think out of all Scripture, if you want one verse that summarizes the entirety of the Bible, I think this is a good one. Romans eleven thirty six, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. What is my life supposed to be about? From him, through him, to him for his glory. If you're married, what's your marriage supposed to be about? From him, through him, to him, for his glory. If you're single, guess what your singleness should be? From him, through him, to him, for his glory. If you have a family, from him, through him, to him, for his glory. If you have a job, from him, through him, to him, for his glory. If you don't have a job, go get one. But from him, through him, to him, for his glory. What's your church supposed to be? From him, through him, to him, for his glory. What's your free time supposed to be about? From him, through him, to him, for his glory. Are you getting this? My sleep... What, what should my sleep be? From him, through him, to him, for his glory. My hobbies, from him, through him, to him, for his glory. What in your life should not be from him, through him, to him, for his glory? Yeah, I can't think of anything either. So what would it look like then if everything in every aspect, in every moment of your day, what if it really was all wrapped up in Jesus? So here's my short list. Is Jesus your number one focus? Your sole attention? your single delight, your only drive, your consuming passion, your turn on, the beat of your heart, the light of your life, the thought in your mind, the word on your lips, the apple in your eye, your life's drive. Is he your life? Or are you just going through the activities? What Paul is talking about is not an addition. It's a consumption. It's an all. Uh, number two it's not just, it's not an addition, it's not idolatry. What I mean by that is that Jesus and Jesus alone must be first in your life. I look at, I look at Christian culture today and it's interesting to me. It is starting to finally make sense, I think. When I read some of the old dead guys, uh, like I read Ravenhill, and Ravenhill was fiery. And he was looking at his culture 
back in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, uh, up through the 90s. And he's just like, church, repent. And I'm like, that's a little harsh. And he's like, we are distracted. We are playing rather than praying. He had these, all these great little statements. And I started recognizing, you know, that is true. We, probably more than ever before, I think Ravenhill would die if he wasn't already dead. If he saw how distracted we in the church were. How, how, how little we know of the word. How little we spend time in prayer. How little we actually enjoy each other's presence. Well, I'm in community. I'm on social media. That's not community. Yeah, but I got a thousand friends on Facebook. No, you don't. Those are not friends. I hate to break that to you. It's okay. It's, I, and I, and I, I enjoy social media in the sense that there are people that I will never talk to outside of social media. In other words, I don't see them. So it's a great way to talk, talk once in a while with some people. I'm not downplaying social media. It's a great opportunity to spread the gospel. But we are distracted. When you, when you look at how many hours the average person spends on social media and how many hours someone spends with Jesus through prayer and reading the word or fellowship or in church, it is ridiculous. Uh, entertainment has consumed us. Do you know that the average North American watches over eight hours of television a day? I don't know how they have the time, but <laughs> supposedly... How much, how much time are we spending in the Word? Well, I have my one-minute devotional, and sometimes I'll do it. We are a distracted culture, folks. Biblically, do you know what that's called? Idolatry. That when I take anything and I put it before Jesus, that's called idolatry. And we are a culture, I'm talking about the church, we are a culture that is consumed with idolatry. See, anytime I take anything and I put it as the center of my life where it's not Jesus, that's idolatry. And by the way, that's called sin. Uh, Moses goes up on the mountain and God says, hey, I'm, I'm going to give you the Ten Commandments. Listen to the first two. In Exodus chapter 20, verse uh, 3 through 6, God says, says this, Think about this. He's speaking to his people, which includes us. And God clearly says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on, on the children, on the third and the fourth generations for those who hate me, but showing hesed, loving kindness, to thousands who love me and keep my commands. So when you look at the first two commands, isn't it interesting? God says, you're to have nothing before me. I make no idols. And of course, we go, well, I don't have any Buddha statues. I'm fine. I do not go to my house, and I, bow, I, don't, I don't bow down to anything. Our culture, this is so devious of the enemy, our culture for the most part, I mean, there are cultures who have idols. I get that. Our culture is not really an idol culture, but we do have idols everywhere. Isn't it ironic that the little things on our phones are called icons? 
and we're just boop, 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 all the time? I just, that's a side note. I just think that's interesting. Ah, we may not bow down to an idol, but we will sit on a couch for eight hours a day and worship at Netflix. Don't we? Ah, we are wrapped up in sports. We're wrapped up in whatever it may be. So think about this. Idolatry is not, we're not, yeah, it includes Buddhist statue stuff, but it goes beyond Buddhist. It's a heart posture. And if there's anything in my life that I'm going to for affection, for activity, for an addiction, uh, if there's anything that becomes central in my life other than Jesus, that's idolatry. And when you look at our culture today, you realize we are wrapped up in entertainment. Uh, we are wrapped up in sports. Uh, we are wrapped up in drugs and drinking, lust and pornography, shopping. I don't have the money. So we window shop, right? We're workaholics, uh, food, success, money, you name it. We, we, we center our lives on this stuff. We are all guilty of this at some level. It's not, it's not that movies are evil. Not all movies are evil. There are a lot. <laughs> as far as I know, Finding Nemo is still fine. <laughs> Little House on the Prairie, wonderful. Okay? No? Okay. <laughs> Anna Green Gables. Uh, Pride and Prejudice. I don't, whatever it is for you. Okay? So it's, it's not like I'm saying, do nothing and have a scrawl and just glory to Jesus. It's not what I'm saying at all. Hey, you should have hobbies. I enjoy disc golf. I enjoy walking around outside. I, hey, there, there's nothing wrong with those things. There's nothing wrong with shopping. You need to shop at some point or you will die because you need food. And most people have to shop for their food. And you need, you need clothing. So I'm, I, and there's nothing wrong with work. Work is actually a blessing scripturally. There, there's nothing wrong with, does it make any sense? But when any of that kind of stuff becomes the very core and the center and the focus of my life, that's idolatry. And what Paul is getting to is nothing can have that position other than Jesus. Listen to this great quote by Leonard Ravenhill, since I was talking about him earlier. He said, entertainment is a devil's substitute for joy. The more joy you have in the Lord, the less entertainment you need. And that's true in every area. That we, we, are, we are constantly trying to find and feel this void with joy. We are seeking joy in our life. But Psalm 1611 says that the fullness of joy is in him. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So why are we looking for joy and life everywhere but where it is actually found? What would it look like if you actually put Jesus at the center of your life? you do realize that we become that which we worship. So if I'm worshiping entertainment, if I'm worshiping sex, if I'm worshiping sports, if I'm worshiping whatever it may be, you realize I become more like that. So what would it look like if I put Jesus at the center of my life and he is what I adored, he is what I worshiped, he is what I loved, he is what I built my life upon and around. And then I will be, as Romans eight twenty nine says, I'm going to be conformed to the image of God. I'm going to become more and more like him. 
Why? Because he's the very center of my life and I'm putting everything around him. I'm building everything upon him. We read these verses all the time too, but I love them. So I'm going to read them. Uh, listen to this, Colossians 3, 4 through 5. Again, Paul says, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. So what are you to be dead to? Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts, Paul says, to idolatry. So the things in your life that produce idolatry, you are to be dead to. Why? Because Christ is our life. He's at the center. He's the very core of our being. Uh, Colossians 1.18, powerful passage. Paul says that Jesus is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Or as the way the ESV says, that in everything he might be preeminent. That word preeminent is just, it means first place. That Jesus is to have first in your life. He's to be all in your life. And nothing else is to have that center place. That nothing should take your affection like Jesus. Nothing should take your focus like Jesus. Nothing else should just drive your life like Jesus. Because he is to be preeminent. He is to have first place. Uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 uh, is speaking to the church in Corinth, and he says, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion uh, uh, to, to Christ. Do you know what we're actually supposed to have? We're supposed to have a simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. And yet, what do we do in the church? We in the church are filling our church with all these activities and all this distraction and all this noise and all these things. And how many churches do you know where Christ actually is all? Where Christ is the focus? I've said for years, I do not want to sing a single worship song that is not focused on Jesus. I do not want to hear a single sermon that does not focus on Jesus. I do not want to spend any time in a group together as a body of Christ without talking about Jesus. Why? Because he's all. He should have first place. And yet we are so distracted. And we're, we're distracted with good things. It's not evil stuff most, most of the time. It's not that churches are evil. We're distracted. And even our churches have become places of idolatry where we're talking and doing all these activities and things other than Jesus. But let's talk about your life. Is there anything in your life that's center other than Jesus? Is there any areas of idolatry in your soul that he needs to deal with? Is there anything in your being that, that is drawing your, your attention and your focus away from the reality of Jesus Christ? If so, would you be willing to lay that down? If so, would you be willing to repent? If so, would you be willing to say, Lord, I actually want to make you all. And I want to return to the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. That I want you to have first place in my life. So Lord, will you usurp anything in my life? Or as Oswald Chambers would say, 
my utmost for his highest. My everything for him. Is that true in you? So number one, this is not about addition. Number two, this is not about idolatry. Because he is to be all. He is to have first place. Number three, just as a reminder, this is not about your effort. This is about his ability, which means you're going to have to abide. Paul says that Christ is to dwell in your hearts through faith. Let me give you a parallel passage. Jesus, in the upper room scene with the disciples, says in John 14, 23, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Uh, the word abode, it's the uh, Greek word mone, and it comes from the Greek word mino, which is where we get the word abide. It's, it's our word abide or remain. Jesus is saying in John 14, oh, if you keep my word, do you know what's going to happen? The Father and I, through the Spirit, are going to get inside of your life, and we are going to reside. We are going to sink down into. We are going to abide. We are going to make our home, our permanent residence, we're going to dwell in you. And then the next chapter, John 15, Jesus says, oh, let me give you an illustration. He says, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. So here you are, a branch. And as a branch, you are to be connected to the vine. And as long as you abide in the vine, the life-giving sap of the vine is going to come into your life and produce fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So what are you called to do? You are called to remain. You are called to sink down into. You are, my favorite definition for abide, is to refuse to depart. What is a branch doing in a vine? It's refusing to depart. Because it recognizes that the soul life is found in the vine. So if the branch wants to be alive, it's got to cling for dear life, which is a resting position. It's a sinking down into position into the vine, which has the life. Jesus says, hey, I've come to sink, or I've, I've come to make my abode in you. I've come to sink down into your life. So would you abide in me? So I'm going to abode in you. I'm going to make my home in you. You're going to have to abide in me. Do you realize that's the reality of Christianity? That the reality of Christianity is that I am in Christ and Christ is in me. Uh, Paul in Ephesians 2.6 says that the Father raised us up with Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So spiritually, where are you seated? In heavenly realms, in Jesus. But then Colossians 1.27 says that there's this mystery that's been hidden for ages and generations, but, but now has been revealed to the saints. Well, what's the mystery? Paul says, oh, it's Christ in you. So is it me in Christ or Christ in me? Yes. Am I abiding in him or is he ab aboding in me? It's not a word, but is he dwelling in me? Yes. Are you getting this? That the reality of this thing is not, well, I'll, I'll pick which one I want. No, you've got to have both. And if, and if you're actually in Christ, if Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith, this is not about your accomplishment. This is not about your wisdom. This is not about your activity. This is not about you gritting your teeth and trying to pull off the Christian life. This is about, hey, would you surrender yourself to the reality of the God of the universe and allow him through his spirit to reside within you? 
as you abide in him. Is that true in you? Is that the reality of your life? I've said this so many times, but you know, the great Ian Thomas quote, that the only explanation for your life is supposed to be Jesus. That when someone looks at your life and, and how you are living and, and how you are able to live with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, when, when the world looks at your life, does it dumbstruck them? Does, does it just, just confound them of how on earth you are living the life you are living? And they go, I, I, don't, I just do not understand how you're able to live the way you're living. You must be a Christian because your life is utterly inexplainable outside of Jesus. Is that true? Do you know how that's going to take place? You're going to have to be strengthened with his power through his spirit in the inner part of who you are. That Christ is going to have to sink down in and dwell, have a permanent residence in your heart through faith. And again, with a heart, we're not just talking about your blood pumping organ. We're, we're talking about your conscience. We're talking about your mind. We're talking about your heart, your emotions, your will, your personality, that every aspect of your life is to be wrapped up in Jesus. That the whole, the whole direction of your life is Jesus. That your whole life is centered and built upon and focused on and delighted in one thing, Jesus. Is that true in you? Is Jesus preeminent in your life? Is he first place? Or is something else in an idolatrous position? Is Jesus really all in your life? Or is he merely the addition in your life? Is he the center? Is he the North Star that your life points to? What would it look like if Christ, as a believer, if Christ would dwell in your hearts and your whole life was wrapped up in him? Do you know what we'd have to call you if you did this? I think we'd have to call you a Christian. Don't you want that? Oh, Lord, I do want to be a Christian. Not because I go to church. Not because I have religious activities. Not because I tip my hat to you. But because the essence and the focus and the drive of my life is Jesus. Lord, as a culture, we are so distracted. Lord, we are so wrapped up in everything but you. And sure, our songs sing about you, but our heart's not in it. We mouth the words, but our mind is somewhere else. Lord, what would it look like if my life was defined by Jesus? That you were reshaping everything in my life. This, that, that this wasn't about adding you into my life. This was about surrendering my life to you. And you took my life and you did whatever it is that you wanted to do with it. That you could reshape, you could transform, you could change, alter, remove Add whatever you want to my life. And that you were conforming me to your image. Lord, what if this has never been about me? What if this has always been about you? What, what if my Christian life is actually not about me being a Christian? 
This isn't even about me getting to heaven. This is all about me being a vessel through which the God of the universe wants to take and use and demonstrate himself to the world through. Well, what would it look like if I, if I just lived in that, not self-effort, not that self-drive, not that accomplishment attitude thing, but Lord, what, what if I live in that posture of an abiding, dependent, surrendered Lord, I want to be a Christian. Lord, this world desperately needs to see Christians. Not that they need to see the Christian, they need to see you in the Christian. Lord, what we don't need is just more churches that gather together in our country clubs. Lord, we need bodies of Christ who are a demonstration of the glory of Jesus. That everything that is said and everything that is done and all the songs that are sung and the sermons that are preached and the potlucks and the the fellowship times and the the times outside the church are all just wrapped up and focused on you. Lord, could it be that this from you and through you and to you for for your glory alone, could, could that actually be the definition of our lives? Or the Colossians 3, that the Christ is our life that you are first place, that you are preeminent in our lives, that, Lord, could it be that we could come back to the simplicity and the purity of devotion in you? Lord, would you take your spirit and bring conviction in any area of our life where you're not first? Anything in our life where we haven't placed you at the center? And Lord, would you do such a deep, refining, sanctifying work in our lives to the point where you were seen in and through us. Lord, we want you to be glorified through everything that we say, everything we think, everything we do for your glory alone. So Lord, whatever it is that you need to do in our lives to bring that about, we're in. We say yes. Spill us and spend us for your glory, Jesus. Would you dwell, reside, abode in our lives? Would you be the center? Love you, Jesus. Just give you the praise and the glory in your precious, powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. If you would like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus, I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you'd like to view the video version of this study, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians. Know I am cheering you on as you build your life around and upon Jesus Christ. See you next time.